Our second reading today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn with fire. This is how you shall eat it, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, from human to animal. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance, a word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. So here's a little background information. Here's the scoop on our text today. God has tried up till this point to persuade Pharaoh, using Moses as his mouthpiece, to free God's people who are enslaved in Egypt. God has done this by sending nine different plagues. Water turned into blood, frogs, lice, flies, diseased livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness, all to no avail. Pharaoh would not be budged. He would not free the Hebrew slaves. He seemed to waver a few times, but always his heart was hardened toward the Israelite slaves, and he kept them in bondage. So in today's text, God prepares the Israelite slaves for the tenth and final horrible plague, the killing of all firstborn males from the firstborn male of Pharaoh, to the firstborn male of the slave, to the firstborn male of all of their livestock. Utter destruction. The Israelites will be spared, God explains, if they follow God's directions. Sacrifice a lamb, hurriedly eat it. They have to make haste because they will have to be ready to flee when the time comes. So eat with your shoes on and your belongings packed and then spread the lamb's blood on the mantle of the door of their home. In this way, God 
or the spirit of the Lord or the angel of death, depending on the version that you are reading, will pass over the houses where the Israelites are huddled and they will not be harmed. Thus for the word for this holy day, Passover. And the Israelites are to repeat this ritual feast annually in remembrance of God saving them, saving them from slavery and death. It's a really powerful story. Maybe you've seen the movie Ten Commandments. It's a really eerie scene. It's so quiet, and yet you see this, almost this fog moving through the houses, and you hear the cries of the people who are suffering and of their loved ones who are dying. So you guys probably remember it. It always scared me a lot. It was almost as scary to me as the witch in The Wizard of Oz. I don't know why I watched it over and over again. Passover is part of God's plan to form the people of Israel into a community. And freedom from captivity is only the first step. Exodus tells the story of their long years wandering in the wilderness, following their freedom, learning to be a united people of faith, becoming Israel, the community of God's children. So why does this matter to us today? Because roughly 1,400 years later than today's text, Jesus sat down and took bread and broke it and instituted the Lord's Supper. And he did it at a Passover meal. It was on Passover that Jesus himself became the sacrificial lamb in order to save us from our sins. He and his friends were gathering in honor of God's command to celebrate Passover when they gathered for what we know today as the Lord's Supper. And we too, like the Israelites before us, are to repeat this new Christian ritual, often in remembrance of what Jesus did for us, just as he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Episcopalian priest Rick Morley writes, can you imagine the logistical nightmare that Moses was handed? He had to tell the entire nation of Israel that they each had to, one, take a perfect year old lamb, two, on the 10th day of the month, three, and slaughter it on the 14th of the month at twilight, four, roast it with bitter herbs, five, don't have any leftovers, six, eat with sandals and staff, and seven, eat it hurriedly. Oh, and by the way, don't, for don't forget to put some of the lamb's blood on your doorpost or the angel of death will snuff you out. I can't even imagine standing in front of a congregation of 150 people and giving those instructions and expecting anyone to really take me seriously. Someone in the church would think they had a better lamb recipe and someone would check the calendar on their iPhone and realize they have a conference call on the 14th at twilight. How does the 15th work for you? Lowball estimates for the population of the Israelites come in around 20 to 40,000 people. That's a lot of people to get a recipe. In fact, that's a lot of lambs being slaughtered at the same time. Why all the attention to detail? Why the logistical nightmare? Because this meal is the beginning point of a whole new identity for this community, the people of God. Morley continues, it was a whole new beginning for a people who needed a do-over. These were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the children and inheritors of the promise of God, the covenant, and they had been reduced to brick-making slaves. 
They needed something to help them begin to break away from everything they knew and start over. Like a wedding reception, like a 50th surprise birthday party, like a baby shower, only bigger. This meal would begin to form them into a new kind of people. And the fact that God would ask them to have this meal over and over again into perpetuity would solidify their new identity. Until, of course, the people of God needed another do-over. And so on the night before Jesus died, he sat down at table to have this meal once again and offered his own body and blood. I think this is an important story for us to read today because we're all still held in captivity. Pharaohs come in many forms. Egypt's come in all sizes. We are, each of us, familiar with enslavement and oppression of various kinds. Maybe not by an Egyptian pharaoh, maybe not in slavery, but by many other things. Habits, prejudices, addictions, fears, insecurities, unreasonable expectations, illness, hopelessness, and death. God's grace is not just forgiving, it is freeing. We need to hear of this God whose will is for us to break free. Now, it's not a promise of immediate success. Even the Israelites had to wander for a very long time. And we, too, wander in the wilderness at times. Some of you are there right now. We can taste the sand in our food. We can feel the blistering sun beating down on our parched bodies. But at the same time, we are free because of God and God's love for you. The central purpose of the Passover ritual meal is in many ways the central purpose of all ritual and worship. It involves the affirmation of faith. We are God's children. God loves us. God saves us. It involves the telling and passing on of the core traditions and stories to a new set of eyes, ears, and mouths, whether those new eyes be a new generation of children or the stranger in our midst. In this way, through the ritualized meal and the words surrounding it, a new generation comes to claim the stories and traditions as their own. They become a witness to the living God in their lives. Communion is the same way. We start out taking it, not always fully understanding what it's about and why we are doing it and what it's supposed to do for us. And through the repeated experience, we encounter God. Through the journey, we come to know God more fully. God gives us freedom before we understand it is ours. God gives us forgiveness before we understand we need it. We don't wait to understand. We go on the journey, learning as we go. That's why I have loved serving communion to children throughout the years. Now, there are lots of opinions about children and whether or not they should have communion. Lots of different denominations have many different ways of doing it, and I'm not here to change anyone's mind. But in our Presbyterian Church USA's take on things, there's a little variance as to how old is appropriate for a child to receive communion, which is not a stunning discovery, as churches are made up of people with different interpretations of things. 
But as you look through different PCUSA's church faith statements or frequently asked questions, some churches proclaim that all of God's children are welcome at the Lord's table, regardless of age, membership, or any other factor. Recognizing that it is not a right bestowed upon the worthy, but a privilege given to the undeserving who come in faith, repentance, and love. Others say the child must be baptized first or able to profess their beliefs first, and so on. Here's where I'm at with this whole thing. And the reason I'm here is because of this story that I want to tell you. When I was ordained, we celebrated communion during the ordination worship service. And I asked my friend, Reverend Lib Caldwell, my former professor from McCormick Seminary, to come and preach at my service. She was the one who baptized my son Ronan when he was an infant. I asked her how we should handle my son and the communion service because Ronan was very young and he would be at the service. Now, usually when we had communion, the kids were always in Sunday school, but this service would be different. I knew that Ronan would see that delicious bread and he'd want a piece of it too, just like the grown-ups. It's what kids do. And I wanted to share this sacred and special meal with him. But I was concerned about breaking with the polity of the PCUSA church. And it seemed to me there was a little gray area on the matter. Blatantly disregarding polity rules during your ordination service might be a red flag after all. And I was hoping to have a little cushion room between my ordination and when people would figure out that I was a troublemaker. Now, understand that Lib is a PCUSA Christian educator. That's her specialty. She's written numerous books about children in the church and about our sacraments, and she's well-known and well-respected in her field. In fact, during my time at seminary, she was the National Educator of the Year for our denomination. In response to my question, do I give Ronan communion? And without missing a beat, she said to me, by all means, give him communion. Jesus fed us before we understood fully. Just give him a piece of bread and say, Ronan, Jesus loves you. Let's celebrate and eat. There I was stumbling over the formal man-made liturgy, and she made it all so clear to me. Jesus feeds us because he loves us. Praise the Lord. So at my former church, whenever I would serve communion to the kiddos, I would always hand them the basket of bread, look them in the eye, and say, remember Jesus loves you. I think it embarrassed the teenage boys a little, or maybe a lot, when I'd say it to them. But good grief, who needs to hear that they are loved more than a teenager struggling to find their way? It's okay. If we smother them with love and embarrass them, then I think we're doing our job. Because this is the gist of what they need to be taken away from this sacred meal. Jesus loves us. It's the message that every one of us here today need to take away from this sacred table. Dennis Olson, who's a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, helped me understand the similarities between Passover and the Lord's Supper a little more fully. They both incorporate the elements of remembrance and acting out something. That's ritual, a symbolic acting out, 
And ritual is really important to us and sadly lacking in our lives. They both emphasize that through this act, God will provide deliverance from bondage and death. They are both associated with the death of the firstborn son, all of Egypt's firstborn versus God's firstborn son, Jesus. They both involve a lamb that was sacrificed, the real lambs for Passover and Jesus on Good Friday. They both occur during darkness and night. They both focus on the blood that protects us from death. And they both include elements of wine and unleavened bread. Do you see all the similarities? Jesus took an important ritual and a holy day and turned it into another important ritual and another holy day for you and for me. Passover meant liberation for the Israelites. The Lord's Supper means liberation for we who partake of it. Freedom from sin, freedom from the world, freedom to begin life anew, to start again. God says that in future years, Israelites should eat the Passover meal dressed for the occasion, the roasted lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs eaten in loincloth and sandals and with traveling staff in hand. They are to be ready to go, not just on the first Passover, but on every Passover. They are to be ready to act. Faith is like that. It's not just something to tell, it's something to act out. It's something to embody and live daily. What it's really getting at is the question of whether we are ready to participate in the liberation God offers. Are we ready for God's liberation? Or do we have things holding us back, hindering us from moving toward the freedom only God can give us? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want you, I invite you to recognize the ritual for what it is. It is a telling of a story, a story of Christ who died for our sins, of Christ whose body and blood were poured out for us as an atonement for our brokenness, of Christ who longs to bring new life to each one of us. It's an affirmation of faith and an acting out of faith. This table is the table of new life. It's a do-over, it's a clean slate, it is a fresh start, liberation. It is a nourishing feast of God's sustaining love for each and every one of us. Please don't ever allow it to lose that significance because it is and always should be life-changing and transformative. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And thanks be to God. Amen.